Act Two of The Funeral, or Grief à la Mode, by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scene One, Lord Hardy's Lodgings. Enter Lord Hardy. Now, indeed, I am utterly undone. But to expect an evil softens the weight of it when it happens, and pain no more than pleasure is in reality so great as in expectation. But what will become of me? How shall I keep myself even above worldly want? Shall I live at home a stiff, melancholy, poor man of quality, grow uneasy to my acquaintance as well as myself, by fancying I am slighted where I am not, with all the thousand particularities which attend those whom low fortune and high spirit make malcontents. No, we've a brave prince on the throne, whose commission I bear, and a glorious war in an honest cause approaching, clapping his hand on his sword, in which this shall cut bread for me, and may perhaps equal that estate to which my birth entitled me but what to do in present pressures ah trim enter trim my lord how do the poor rogues that are to recruit my company do sir they've ate you to your last guinea were you at the agents yes well and how why, sir, for your arrears, you may have eleven shillings in the pound, but he'll not touch your growing subsistence under three shillings in the pound interest, besides which you must let his clerk, Jonathan Item, swear the peace against you to keep you from dueling, or insure your life, which you may do for eight per cent. On these terms he'll oblige you, which he would not do for anybody else in the regiment, but he has a friendship for you. Oh, I'm his humble servant. But he must have his own terms. We can't starve, nor must my fellows want. But methinks this is a calm midnight. I've heard no duns today. Duns, my lord? Why, now your father's dead, and they can't arrest you. I shall grow a little less upon the smooth with them than I have been. Why, friend, says I, how often must I tell you my lord is not stirring? His lordship has not slept well. You must come some other time. Your lordship will send for him when you are at leisure to look upon money affairs, or if they are so saucy, so impertinent as to press to a man of your quality for their own. There are canes, there's Bridewell, there's the stocks for your ordinary tradesman, but to a haughty, thriving Covent Garden mercer, silk or laceman, your lordship gives your most humble service to him, hopes his wife is well. You have letters to write, or you'd see him yourself but you desire he would be with you punctually such a day, that is to say, the day after you are gone out of town. Go, Sidder, you're scurrilous. I won't believe there are such men of quality. Do you hear? Give my service this afternoon to Mr. Cutpurse, the agent, and tell him I'm obliged to him for his readiness to serve me, for I am resolved to pay my debts forthwith. A voice without. I don't know whether he is within or not. Mr. Trim, is my lord within? Trim, see who it is. I ain't within, you know. Exit Trim. Trim, without. Yes, sir. My lord's above. Pray walk up. Who can it be? 
he owns me too. Enter Campley and Trim. Dear Tom Campley, this is kind. You are an extraordinary man indeed, who in the sudden accession of a noble fortune can be still yourself and visit your less happy friends. No, you are, my lord, the extraordinary man who, on the loss of an almost princely fortune, can be master of a temper that makes you the envy rather than pity of your most fortunate, not more happy friends. Oh, sir, your servant. But let me gaze on thee a little. I haven't seen thee since I came home into England. Most exactly, negligently, genteelly dressed. I know there's more than ordinary in this. Beating Campley's breast. Come, confess. Who shares with me here? I must have her real and poetical name. Come, she's in sonnet, Cynthia. In prose, mistress. One you little dream of, though she is in a manner of your placing there. My placing there? Why, my lord, all the fine things you said to me in the camp of my lady Charlotte, your father's ward, ran in my head so very much that I made it my business to become acquainted in that family, which I did by Mr. Cabinet's means, and am now in love in the same place with your lordship. How? In love in the same place with me, Mr. Campley? Ay, my lord, with t'other sister, with t'other sister. What a dunce was I not to know which, without your naming her. Why, thou art the only man breathing fit to deal with her. But, my lady Charlotte, there's a woman, so easily virtuous, so agreeably severe, her motion so unaffected, yet so composed. Her lips breathe nothing but truth, good sense, and flowing wit. Lady Harriet, oh, there's the woman, such life, such spirit, such warmth in her eyes, such a lively, commanding air in her glances, so sprightly a mien that carries in it the triumph of conscious beauty. Her lips are made of gum and balm. There's something in that dear girl that fires my blood above. Above. Uh, above. Above what? Ah, a grenadier's march. A soft simile, I must confess. But, oh, that Charlotte, to recline this aching head, full of care, on that tender, snowy, faithful bosom. Oh, that Harriet, to embrace that beauteous... Ay, Tom, but methinks your head runs too much on the wedding night only to make your happiness lasting. Mine is fixed on the married state. I expect my felicity from Lady Charlotte in her friendship, her constancy, her piety, her household cares, her maternal tenderness. You think not of any excellence of your mistress that is more than skin-deep. When I know her further than skin-deep, I'll tell you more of my mind. Oh, fie, Tom! How can you talk so lightly of a woman you love with honour? But tell me, 
i wonder how you make your approaches in besieging such a sort of creature she that loves addresses gallantry fiddles that reigns and delights in a crowd of admirers if i know her she is one of those you may easily have a general acquaintance with but hard to make particular you understand her very well you must know i put her out of all her play by carrying it in a humorous manner i took care in all my actions before i discovered the lover that she should in general have a good opinion of me and have ever since behaved myself with all the good humour and ease i was able so that she is now extremely at a loss how to throw me from the familiarity of an acquaintance into the distance of a lover but i laugh her out of it when she begins to frown and look grave at my mirth i mimic her till she bursts out a laughing <laughs> that's ridiculous enough by cabinet's interest over my lady brompton with golden flattery to mrs fardingale an old maid her ladyship has placed about the young ladies i have easy access at all times and am this very day to be admitted by her into their apartment i have found you must know that she is my relation her ladyship has chosen odd companion for young ladies <laughs> my lady is a politician she told Tadlade one day that an old maid was the best guard for young ones, for they, like eunuchs in the seraglio, are vigilant out of envy of enjoyments they count themselves arrive at. But as I was saying, I have sent my cousin Fartingale a song, which she and I are to practice to the spinet. The young ladies will be by, and I am to be left alone with Lady Harriet. Then I design to make my grand attack— and to-day win or lose her i know sir this is an opportunity you want if you'll meet me at tom's have a letter ready i'll myself deliver it to your mistress conduct you into the house and tell her you are there and find means to place you together you must march under my command to-day as i have many a one under yours but faith tom i shall not behave myself with half the resolution you have under mine for to confess my weakness though i know she loves me though i know she is as steadfastly mine as her heart can make her i know not how i have so sublime an idea of her high value and such a melting tenderness dissolves my whole frame when i am near her that my tongue falters my nerves shake and my heart so alternately sinks and rises that my premeditated resolves vanish into confusion downcast eyes and broken utterance <laughs> this is in a campaigner too why my lord that's the condition harriet would have me in and then she thinks she could have me but i that know her better than she does know herself know she'd insult me and leave me a two years dance longer and perhaps in the end turn me into the herd of the many neglected men of better sense who have been ridiculous for her sake <laughs> but i shall make her no such sacrifice tis well my lady charlotte's a woman of so solid an understanding i don't know another that would not use you ill for your high value but tom 
i must see your song you've sent your cousin fardingale as you call her campley aside this is lucky enough no hang it my lord a man makes so silly a figure when his verses are reading trim thou hast not left off thy loving and thy rhyming trim's a critic i remember him a servitor at oxen gives a paper to trim i give myself into his hands because you shan't see him till i'm gone my lord your servant you shan't stir nor you neither then struggling you will be obeyed exeunt lord hardy waits on him down what's in this song ha don't my eyes deceive me a bill of three hundred pounds mr cash pray pay to mr william trim or bear the sum of three hundred pounds and place it to the account of sir your humble servant thomas campley pulling off his hat and bowing your very humble servant good mr campley ay this is poetry this is a song indeed faith i'll set it and sing it myself pray pay to mr william trim so far in recitativo three hundred singing ridiculously hundred 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 thrice repeated because tis three hundred pounds i love repetitions in music when there's a, a good reason for it pounds after the italian manner they if they'd bring me such sensible words as these i'd outstrip all your composers for the music prize this was honestly done of mr company though i have carried him many a purse from my master when he was ensign to our company in flanders enter lord hardy my lord i am your lordship's humble servant sir your humble servant but pray my good familiar friend how come you to be so very much my humble servant all of a sudden i beg pardon dear sir my lord i am not your humble servant no yes my lord i am but not as you mean but i am i am my lord in short i'm overjoyed overjoyed thou art distracted what ails the fellow where's campley's song oh my lord one would not think twas in him mr campley's really a very great poet as for the song tis only as they all end in rhyme ow woe is his kisses boy joy but my lord the other in long heroic blank verse reading it with great tone pray pay to mr william trim or order the sum of how sweetly it runs pactolian guineas chink every line how very handsomely this was done in campley i wondered indeed he was so willing to show his verses in how careless a manner that fellow does the greatest actions my lord pray my lord shan't i go immediately to cut presses no said i now we have no occasion for it no my lord only to stare him full in the face after i have received this money not say a word but keep my hat on and walk out or perhaps not here if any i meet with speak to me but grow stiff deaf and short-sighted to all my old acquaintance like a sudden rich man as i am or perhaps my lord desire cutpurse's clerk to let me have fifty pounds at their house payable to mr william trim or order till i come that way or a month or two hence may have occasion for it i don't know what bills may be drawn upon me then when the clerk begins to stare at me till he pulls the great goose quill from behind his ear pulls a handful of farthings out 
I fall a-reckoning the pieces as I do these farthings. Well, sirrah, you may have your humour, but be sure to take fourscore pounds and pay my debts immediately. If you meet any officer you ever see me in company with, that looks grave at Cutpurse's house, tell him I'd speak with him. We must help our friends. But learn moderation, you rogue, in your good fortune. Be at home all the evening after while I wait at Tom's to meet Campley, in order to see Lady Charlotte. My good or ill in her alone is found, and in that thought all other cares are drowned. Exeunt. Scene 2. Lord Brompton's House. Enter Sable, Lord Brompton, and Trusty. Why, my lord, you can't in conscience put me off so. I must do according to my orders, cut you up and embalm you, except you'll come down a little deeper than you talk of. You don't consider the charges I have been at already. Charges? What for? Oh, first, twenty guineas to my lady's woman for notice of your death. A fee I've before now known the widow herself go halves in, but no matter for that. In the next place, ten pounds for watching you all your long fit of sickness last winter. Watching me? Why, I had none but my own servants by turns. I mean attending to give notice of your death. I had all your long fit of sickness last winter, at half a crown a day, a fellow waiting at your gate to bring me intelligence. But you unfortunately recovered, and I lost my obliging pains for your service. Ha, ha, ha! Sable, thou art a very impudent fellow. Half a crown a day to attend my decease, and dost thou reckon it to me? Look you, gentlemen, don't stand staring at me. I have a book at home which I call my doomsday book, where I have every man of qualities, age, and distemper in town, and know when you should drop. Nay, my lord, if you had reflected upon your mortality half so much as poor I have for you, you would not desire to return to life thus. In short, I cannot keep this a secret under the whole money I am to have for burying you. Trusty, if you think it safe in you to obey my orders after the deed Puzzle told his clerk of, pay it to him. I should be glad to give it out of my own pocket rather than be without the satisfaction of seeing you witness to it. I heartily believe thee, dear trusty. Then, my lord, the secret of your being alive is now safe with me. Trusty, aside. I'll warrant I'll be revenged of this unconscionable dog. My lord, you must to your closet. I fear somebody's coming. Exeunt sable, one way. Lord Brompton and Trusty another. Scene 3. Lord Brompton's House. Lady Charlotte discovered reading at a table. Lady Harriet playing at a glass to and fro and viewing herself. Nay, good sage sister, you may as well talk to me. Looking at herself as she speaks. I sit staring at a book which I know you can't attend. Good Dr. Lucas may have writ there what he pleases, but there's no putting Francis Lord Hardy, now Earl of Brompton, out of your head, or making him absent from your eyes. Do but look at me now, and deny it if you can. You are the maddest girl. Smiling. Look ye, I knew you could not say it and forbear laughing. 
Looking over Charlotte. Oh, I see his name as plain as you do. F-R-A-N, Fran, C-I-S, Sis, Francis. Tis in every line of the book. Lady Charlotte, rising. <sighs> Tis in vain, I see, to mind anything in such impertinent company. But granting twere as you say to my Lord Hardy, tis more excusable to admire another than one's self. No, I think not. Yes, I grant you them really to be vain at one's person, but I don't admire myself. Psh! I don't believe my eyes have that softness. Looking in the glass. They ain't so piercing. No, tis only stuff the men will be talking. Some people are such admirers of teeth. Lord, what signifies teeth? Showing her teeth. A very blackamoor has as white teeth as I. No, sister, I don't admire myself, but I have a spirit of contradiction in me. I don't know I'm in love myself, only to rival the men. Aye, but Mr. Campley will gain ground even of that rival of his, your dear self. Ah, what have I done to you that you should name that insolent intruder a confident, opinionative fop? No, indeed, if I am, as a poetical lover of my inside and sung of both sexes, the public envy and the public care, I shan't be so easily catched. I thank him. I want but to be sure I should heartily torment him by banishing him, and then consider whether he should depart this life or not. Indeed, sister, to be serious with you, this vanity in your humour does not at all become you. Vanity! All the matter is, we gay people are more sincere than you wise folks. All your life's an art. Speak your soul. Look you there. Hailing her to the glass. Are you not struck with a secret pleasure when you view that bloom in your looks, that harmony in your shape, that promptitude of your mien? Well, simpleton, if I am at first so silly as to be a little taken with myself, I know it a fault, and take pains to correct it. Pshaw! Pshaw! Talk this musty tale to old Mrs. Fardingale. Tis too soon for me to think at that rate. They that think it too soon to understand themselves will very soon find it too late. But tell me honestly, don't you like Campley? The fellow is not to be abhorred if the forward thing did not think of getting me so easily. Oh, I hate a heart I can't break when I please. What makes the value of dear China but that tis so brittle? Were it not for that, you might as well have stone mugs in your closet. Hiss, hiss, here's Fardingale. Enter Fardingale. Lady Harriet, Lady Charlotte, I'll entertain you now. I've a new song just come hot out of the poet's brain. Lady Charlotte, my cousin Campley read it, and tis set to a pretty air, I warrant you. Tis like to be pretty indeed of his writing. Flings away. Come, come. This is not one of your tringham trangham witty things that your poor poets write. No, tis well known my cousin Campley has two thousand pounds a year. But this is all dissimulation in you. Tis so indeed, for your cousin's song is very pretty, Mrs. Fartingale. Reads. Let not love on me bestow soft distress and tender woe. I know none but substantial blisses, eager glances, solid kisses. I know not what the lovers feign, a finer pleasure mixed with pain. Then prithee give me, gentle boy, none of thy grief, but all of thy joy. But Harriet thinks that a little unreasonable to expect one without enduring t'other. Enter servant. There's your cousin Campley toy on you without. Let him come in. 
We shall have the song now. Enter Campley. Ladies, your most obedient servant. Your servant, Lady Charlotte. Servant, Lady Harriet. Harriet looks grave upon him. What's the matter, dear Lady Harriet? Not well. I protest to you, I'm mightily concerned. Pulls out a bottle. This is a most excellent spirit. Snuff it up, madam. Psh! The familiar coxcomb frets me heartily. Twill over, I hope, immediately. Your cousin Fardingale has shown us some of your poetry. There's the spinet, Mr. Campley. I know you're musical. She should not have called it my poetry. No. Who waits there? Pray bring my lute out of the next room. Enter servant with a lute. You must know I conned this song before I came in, and find it will go to an excellent air of old Mr. Laws's, who was my mother's intimate acquaintance. My mother's? What do I talk of? I mean my grandmother's. Oh, here's the lute, Cousin Campley. Hold the song upon your hat. Aside to him. Tis a pretty gallantry to a relation. Sings and squalls. Let not love on me bestow Soft distress and tender woe. I know none but substantial blisses, Eager glances, solid kisses. I know not what the lovers feign, Or finer pleasure mixed with pain. Then prithee give me, gentle boy, None of thy grief, but all thy joy. Oh, I have left off these things many a day. No, I profess, madam, you do it admirably, But are not assured enough. Take it higher. In her own squall. Thus. I know your voice will bear it. Oh, hideous! Oh, the gross flatterer! I shall burst! Mrs. Fardingale, pray go on. The music fits the words most aptly. Take it higher, as your cousin advises. Oh, dear madam, do you really like it? I do it purely to please you, for I can't sing, alas. We know it, madam, we know it. But pray... Let not love and substantial blisses is lively enough, and ran accordingly in the tune. Curtsies to the company. Now I took it higher. Incomparably done. Nothing can equal it, except your cousin sang his own poetry. Madam, from my Lord Hardy. Delivers a letter to Lady Charlotte. How do you say, my Lady Harriet, except I sing it myself? Then I assure you I will. I hand patience. I must go read my letter. Exit. Campley sings. Let not love on me bestow Soft distress and tender woe. I know none but substantial blisses, Eager glances, solid kisses. I know not what the lovers feign, A finer pleasure mixed with pain. Then prithee give me, gentle boy, None of thy grief, but all the joy. Bless me. What's become of Lady Charlotte? Exit. Mrs. Fardingale, Mrs. Fardingale, what, must we lose you? Going after her. Campley runs to the door, takes the key out, and locks her in. What means this insolence? A plot upon me? Do you know who I am? Yes, madam. You're my Lady Harriet, lovely, with ten thousand pounds in your pocket. 
and i am mr campley with two thousand a year of quality enough to pretend to you and i do design before i leave this room to hear you talk like a reasonable woman as nature has made you nay tis in vain to flounce and discompose yourself in your dress if there are swords if they are men of honour and not all dastards coward that pretends to this injured person running round the room ay ay madam let em come that's putting me in my way fighting's my trade but you've used all mankind too ill to expect so much service in short madam were you a fool i should not desire to expostulate with you seizing her hand but unhand me ravisher pulls her hand from him chases round the room camply after her but madam 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 why madam prithee cynthia look behind you age and wrinkles will overtake you age wrinkles smallpox nay anything that's most abhorrent to youth and bloom will welcome in the place of so detested a creature nay such a matter lady harriet i would not be a vain coxcomb but i know i am not detestable nay nowhere you said as much before you understood me for your servant was i immediately transformed because i became your lover my lover sir did i ever give you reason to think i admitted you as such yes you did in your using me ill for if you did not assume upon the score of my pretending to you how do you answer to yourself some parts of your behaviour to me as a gentleman tis trivial all this in you and derogates from the good sense i know you mistress of do but consider madam i have long loved you bore with your fantastic humour through all its mazes nay do not frown for tis no better i say i have bore with this humour but would you have me with an unmanly servitude feed it no i love you with too sincere too honest a devotion and would have your mind as faultless as your person which twould be if you'd lay aside this vanity of being pursued with sighs with flatteries with nonsense she walks about less violently but more confused aside oh, my heart aches at the disturbance which i gave her but she must not see it had i not better tell you of it now than when you are in my power i should be then too generous to thwart your inclination lady harriet aside that is indeed very handsomely said why should i not obey reason as soon as i see it since so mr campley i can as ingeniously as i should then acknowledge that i have been in an error looking down on her fan nay that's too great a condescension Oh, excellence i repent i see twas but justice in you to demand my knees kneeling my sighs my constant tenderest regard and service and you shall have him since you are above him nay mr campley you won't recall me to a fault you have so lately shown me i will not suffer this no more ecstasies but pray sir what was it you did to get my sister out of the room you may know it and i must desire you to assist my lord hardy there who writ to her by me for he is no ravisher as you called me just now he is now in the house and i would fain gain an interview that they may have but they'll make little use of it for the tongue is the instrument of speech to us of a lower form 
they are of that high order of lovers who know none but eloquent silence and can utter themselves only by a gesture that speaks their passion inexpressible and what not fine things but pray let's go into your sister's closet while they are together i swear i don't know how to see my sister she'll laugh me to death to see me out of my pantoffles and you and i dust familiar however i know she'll approve it you may boast yourself an heroine to her and the first woman that was ever vanquished by hearing truth and had sincerity enough to receive so rough an obligation as being made acquainted with her faults come madam stand your ground bravely we'll march into her thus she leaning on campley who'll believe a woman's anger more i've betrayed the whole sex to you mr campley exeunt re-enter lord hardy and campley my lord his sister who now is mine will immediately send her hither but be yourself charge her bravely i wish she were a cannon an eighteen-pounder for your sake then i'd know with her occasion you'd be in the mouth of her i long yet fear to see her i know i am unable to utter myself come retire here till she appears they go back to the door enter lady charlotte aside now is the tender moment now approaching there he is they approach and salute each other trembling your lordship will please to sit after a very long pause stolen glances and irresolute gesture your lordship i think has travelled those parts of italy where the armies are yes madam i think i have letters from you dated mantua i hope you have madam and that their purpose my lord looking serious and confused was not your ladyship going to say something i only attended to what your lordship was going to say that is my lord but you were i believe going to say something of that garden of the world italy i am very sorry your misfortunes in england are such as make you justly regret your leaving that place there is a person in england may make those losses insensible to me indeed my lord there have so very few of quality attended his majesty in the war that your birth and merit may well hope for his favour i have indeed all the zeal in the world for his majesty's service and most grateful affection for his person but did not then mean him but can you indeed impartially say that our island is really preferable to the rest of the world or is it an arrogance only in us to think so i profess madam that little i have seen has but more endeared england to me for that medley of humours which perhaps distracts our public affairs does methinks improve our private lives and makes conversation more various and consequently more pleasing everywhere else both men and things have the same countenance in france you meet much civility and little friendship in holland deep attention but little reflection in italy all pleasure but no mirth but here with us where you have everywhere pretenders or masters in everything 
you can't fall into company wherein you shall not be instructed or diverted i never had an account of anything from you my lord but i mourn the loss of my brother you would have been so happy a companion for him with that right sense of yours my lord you need not bow so obsequiously for i do you but justice but you sent me word of your seeing a lady in italy very like me did you visit her often once or twice but i observed her so loose a creature that i could have killed her for having your person i thank you sir but heaven that preserves me unlike her will i hope make her more like me but your fellow-traveller his relations themselves know not a just account of him the original cause of his fever was a violent passion for a fine young woman he had not power to speak to but i told her his regard for her as passionately as possible you were to him what mr campley has been to you whither am i running poor your friend poor gentleman i hope then as campley's eloquence is greater so has been his success my lord your ladyships enter lady harriet undone undone tatelaid has found by some means or other that campley brought my lord hardy hither we are utterly ruined my lady's coming i'll stay and confront her it must not be we are too much in her power enter campley come come my lord we are routed horse and foot down the back stairs and so out Exeunt. i tremble every joint of me i'm at a stand a little but rage will recover me she's coming in enter widow ladies your servant i fear i interrupt you have you company lady harriet your servant lady charlotte your servant what not a word oh i beg your ladyship's pardon lady charlotte did i say my young lady brompton i wish you joy oh your servant lady dowager brompton that's an appellation of much more joy to you so smart madam but you should methinks have made one acquainted yet madam your conduct is seen through my conduct lady brompton your conduct lady charlotte coming up to each other madam tis you are seen through all your thin disguises i seen by whom by an all-piercing eye nay by what you much more fear the eye of the world the world sees you or shall see you it shall know your secret intemperance your public fasting loose poems in your closet a homily on your toilet your easy skilful practised hypocrisy by which you wrought upon your husband basely to transfer the trust and ward of us two helpless virgins into the hands and care of i cannot name it you're a wicked woman lady harriet aside oh rare sister tis a fine thing to keep one's anger in stock by one we that are angry and pleased every half hour have nothing at all of all this high-flown fury why she rages like a princess in a tragedy blessings in her tongue is this the effect of your morning lectures your self-examination all this fury yes it is madam if i take pains to govern my passions it shall not give license to others to govern them for me well lady charlotte however you ill deserve it of me i shall take care while there are locks and bars to keep you from lord hardy from being a leaguer lady from carrying a knapsack knapsack do you upbraid the poverty your own wicked arts have brought him to knapsack oh grant me patience can i hear this of the man i love knapsack i have not words 
stamps about the room. I leave you to cool upon it. Love and anger are very warm passions. Exit. She has locked us in. Knapsack. Well, I will break walls to go to him. I could sit down and cry my eyes out. Dear sister, what a rage have I been in. Knapsack. I'll give vent to my just resentment. Oh, how shall I avoid this base woman? How meet that excellent man? What a helpless condition are you and I in now? If we run into the world, that youth and innocence which should demand assistance does but attract invaders. Will Providence guard us? How do I see that our sex is naturally indigent of protection? I hope tis in fate to crown our loves, for tis only in the protection of men of honor that we are naturally truly safe. And woman's happiness for all her scorn is only by that side whence she was born. End of Act Two